1: We thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for what you've done, for the love that you have for us. We thank you for that sweet, precious name. We thank you for all you've done today so far and all you're still planning to do. In your precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Cindy, great job. All right. Church, if you will turn with me in your Bibles to, uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. And this is the foundational verse of this series that we're doing called Identity. And the purpose of this entire series is so that we begin to really see who we are in Christ. Who God has created us to be in Christ. Not what the world has created us to be, not what the world has said we should be, not based on our gender or our ethnic background or anything else. What has God said that we are? Who does God say that we are? And we begin, we call this, what we're calling this series is called identity. And the foundational verse was in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 And I want to read, it says, therefore, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, it says you are a new creation. You see, you are a new creation when you, you cannot be in Christ and be yourself any longer. Church, you cannot be in Christ and be yourself any longer, your old self. I get it, this is a journey. I get it, this is a process. I get it, there are baby Christians and more mature Christians, and there's a journey that we all walk. There are things that we struggle with more than others, and it's a walk. But I'm telling you, if you truly have Jesus in your life, then your life should begin to be transformed. It has to be, because it says you're a new creation when you are in Christ. When you truly have made Him your Lord and Savior. When you have submitted your life to him, you cannot help but change. You can't help but change. This is what the Bible says. So you are a new creation. What happens? The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And what I started last week is I begin to talk about royalty. And how in in God's word it clearly shows that when we are in Christ, we have an identity of royalty. And you say, well, not me. You don't understand where I grew up. I didn't live in a big house. I didn't have all the things that I ever wanted. Because if you think of royalty... You think of all the celebrity pictures of royalty, right? You think of the Queen of England, you think of her whole family, they fly around, they meet with these big, you know, uh, world leaders, they do all this charity, or we say, no, 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 that's not me. Church, the Bible clearly states that our identity is royalty. And we need to begin to change our mindset and how we look at ourselves in the mirror. And there's four things I want to talk to you about this morning that someone who is royalty begins to live out in their life. Someone who is royalty, someone who begins to truly believe wait a second, if I am in Christ and I am a new creation and all the old things passed away and these things are new and I am royalty based upon the word of God, how should I be acting? How should my life be being transformed if I can see myself as royalty? And there are four things I want to review with you this morning that signify a royal identity, royal actions that we begin to take. I looked up the word royalty, and it means people of royal blood, church. People of royal blood, do you understand that your bloodline is now, when you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, your bloodline is now royalty. Your bloodline is in the family of Jesus. You can no longer walk around acting as if you're not, Oh, you can act that way, but what the Bible is saying is that you don't have to any longer. You don't have to see yourself the way the world sees you, or the way maybe your parents said you were. No, no longer you begin to be able to see and tell yourself and see yourself as royalty as God sees you. Because there's royal blood flowing through your veins. Church, there is royal blood flowing through your veins. Not me. Yes, you. Yes, you. So these four points, and here's what I want to show you with these points, is these things apply In three different facets. So each of these four points, there's three facets to each and every one of them. The first facet is is how does it apply to us personally? How does it, how does this royal identity that I'm gonna walk through, what does it mean when I act this way? How does it apply to me personally? And then how does it apply to me and my family? And then how does it apply to the kingdom of God? Because there's, I mean, all of us are part of a family in some way, shape, and form. And all of us are individuals. And all of us who have accepted Jesus are part of his kingdom. So these attributes of royalty, this way we act when we see ourselves as royalty, begins to change how we act, how we act within our families, and how we act within the kingdom of God. So the first one is this. I started these last week. The first one is this, is to protect the kingdom. When you are royalty, you begin to think like royalty. And if you're royalty, you begin to think about protecting the kingdom. This is something that is top of mind for you. You say, this is the kingdom. And I need to protect it if I'm in charge of the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3. Now I want you to see something. This applies first to yourself. First to yourself. You are a vessel. You are the one who is royal. You need to be thinking about how do I protect my own, the battle that I am in, the, the fight that I am fighting. How do I fight and protect first my own vessel and who God has created me to be? Then I begin to think about how do I fight for my family. And then I begin to think about how I fight for this kingdom that God has placed me in. It says 4, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Whoa. We are warring. We are battling. And I think we walk around and we don't realize this, that there is an enemy. We talk a lot about it here, but we, there is an enemy that is trying to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is trying to steal, to kill, and destroy. And if you look at the progression of that verse... The first thing he comes to do is to steal the word of God from your life. He wants to steal and make you believe that you're not royalty. He wants to steal that thought from you that based on what the word of God is telling you. Because once he steals it, he can then kill you and then destroy generations. This is a battle that we were fighting. You know, my dad, he'll be watching online later, I'm sure. My dad, God bless him. He is an awesome, awesome man. And when, when there are a few of us in here, I'm not, in, not necessarily included because I was saved when I was five, but there are some of us who have had a pre-Jesus life that is radically different than the post-Jesus life, okay? This is what I'm talking about, being transformed. Well, my dad was radically transformed into royalty, okay, when he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior in his 40s. But there were stories that he would tell me pre-Jesus, B.C., before Christ in his life that were pretty, actually a little scary, a little bit wild. Okay, so my dad was a Marine. There's, there's part one. My dad was a boxer. My dad was a pool hustler. And my dad was a street fighter. No, I'm not kidding you. This is like, okay, where, where, how did this come about? I'm not totally sure. Like, this is Jesus from age five, right? Jesus, like, totally, he's helping me not follow the same path as my, as my father did. But he would always talk about, not always, he doesn't like to talk about it, actually. But he would tell me about fights that he would get in after he hustled somebody in pool. And my dad wasn't very tall, but, I mean, he's super muscular. And people would be like, Psh, what's this little guy doing? I'm going to take him outside, and then my dad would do what my dad did. And he would take care of business over and over and over and over. And it's just like, wow, Dad, what how did you how did you do that? How did you win fights against 280 pound men who were six foot two? Every time I'd beat him. Every time I said, Dad, I mean, okay, I mean, if he's standing here, he'd probably be about right here. Like, you're like, this is not possible. And you tell me this is how it's possible. He goes, you act crazy, and you hit him first. <laughs> I'm serious. This, was, this is his strategy. Now, he was a boxer, so he got what to do and how to hit, how to take a punch, how to protect himself, and so he won a lot of fights just by sheer technique and talent. Okay, granted. But what he said was, the way you win the fight is to act crazy and hit him first. And I'm like, wait a second, Dad, you're onto something here. You're on to something here, because if the battle is not against flesh and blood, and what I just read here is that we are warring, we are warring with an enemy, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to, maybe we should start acting, I know I don't want to act crazy, I'm not talking about that crazy, I'm talking about getting serious about the word of God and start to hit first. Church, why are we not hitting first? Why are we allowing the enemy to walk into our lives and to tell us lies and to convince us that we're something that we're not? No more. We need to start hitting first. This is how we win the fight. This is how we win the fight. We don't sit back and wait for it to start to get to pummeled. I think he said he lost like one fight in his life is because he didn't, he, he didn't hit first. So we lose fights all the time because guess what, church? We're not hitting first. He has called us, God has called us to be battlers, to be warriors. We need to hit first. Verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. Oh, So guess what? The the, the weapon that I'm using when I am hitting first is mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Are you kidding me? So in my life, I can go take a step and take a stand and begin to take this fight on the offensive. We are on the offensive, church. You need to be on the offensive in your own life, in the challenges that the enemy is bringing to you. As you're walking in the school, as people are making fun of you, whatever it is, you need to be on the offensive, not battling them, but battling the spirit of the enemy and saying, no more in Jesus' name. And to get the word of God on the inside and start to take the truths for your current situation. Say, you know what? I'm walking in with these truths. I'm walking in with this battle. Because the word says that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. The last time I checked, if you're going to go into a battle, you want an offensive weapon. This is our offensive weapon. And what do we do with our offensive weapon? We have to speak the word of God. You need to say it out loud. When I talk about being a little bit, ooh, a little bit wow, it's okay to speak scripture when you walk into your workplace. It's okay to speak the word of God when you walk into your school. Oh, what's wrong with that person? I'm on the offensive, church. You need to be on the offensive. This is a battle that we are in says they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And what do they do? They cast down the arguments. They cast down those lies that the enemy is telling you to try to get you to believe something different. To try to get you to believe that you're not royalty, that you're not righteous, that you're not blessed, that you're not highly favored. He is trying to lie to you. And this mighty power of God, the sword of the Spirit, as we speak it forth in our lives, is casting down those arguments. Not just those, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Everything. Every battle that you are facing, there is victory in the word of God. There is victory in our praise. There is victory in taking the offensive and going after the things that God has for us. How does this apply to us personally? Bringing every thought into captivity and making it obedient to Christ. Every thought that comes, whoa, whoa, what was that? Hold on a second. That was not of God. I'm going on the offensive. No, in Jesus' name, I don't believe that lie. Temptations come, uh-uh, I'm not going there. You begin to speak the word of God in your life. We are battling forces of darkness. It says our weapons are not carnal. This applies to us in our lives. What lies has the enemy convinced you of? It's time to get on the offensive. It's time to get on the offensive. This applies to our family. Men, I'm talking to you first and foremost. It is time that we begin to battle for our families. It is time we begin to battle for our families. We can no longer let our spouse fight the battles alone. We can't. The Bible commands us to do this together. That means you are a part of it. The Bible commands that you are the head of the household, so start acting like it. I know, it's all right. I'm talking to myself too, so I'm just okay. It applies to the kingdom of God. There are battles we have to fight for this city. There are battles of racism, of poverty, that we need to take on the offensive and begin to say, you know what? Not in my city. You need to say, you know what? Not in my family. You know what? Not in my life personally. The second thing is is we need to grow the kingdom. We need to grow the kingdom. Matthew 28 says this and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations." We need to grow the kingdom. You say, but how does that apply to me personally? No, you need to grow your kingdom. Revival starts here with you. We, You know, if we get so distracted by revival out there and we are not transforming and changing our own hearts, not coming to repentance on the things that God has told us to repent on, the things that we need to turn away from, the the sins we need to break in our own life, we cannot continue to live out there and not transform in here. He is calling us to grow this kingdom. This kingdom. In fact, I'd have to argue it's this kingdom first. Because the Bible says before you can love your neighbor, you have to do what? You have to love yourself. In order for you to love yourself, you have to forgive yourself. Too many of us are sitting in here, and we have not forgiven ourselves of things that we have done. God's already forgiven you. But you walk around, and you have not forgiven yourself. We want to see true revival in this city, in this town. It starts right here with us. We have to grow this kingdom. It says in John 8 31. So then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Another translation says, If you are obedient to my word, you are my disciples. And what happens when we understand his word? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We need to be growing this kingdom. You see, being a disciple of Jesus is a process. It's a continued process of growing this kingdom, and then growing our family, and then growing the kingdom of God. You see, this growing the kingdom applies, again, to all three facets of our life. Are you a disciple? Are you sitting here? Have you ever made Jesus the Lord of your life? Are you seeing growth and transformation in your life? Say, well, how do I know? How is this evidence? How can I tell? The fruit of the Spirit. The kids sing upstairs. The kids sing in in kids' ministry, the fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. I'm not talking about coconuts. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you growing in those areas? We need to make it a point that we are growing in these areas of our life. And I've read this so many times, and I'm not saying definitive fact that these are all like one comes before the other, but I'm telling you there is a rhythm to why this was written this way. And I had not seen that before. But if you don't have love, what does the Bible say? You don't have anything. So of course love is written first. And then the next one is joy. And sometimes I feel like I can't even get to patience or peace or kindness or goodness because I've lost joy. And what the Bible says is the anointing of Jesus Christ is actually joy. Abiding in him, walking with him. Joy does not come from circumstances. Joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is not circumstantial. We can actually walk in joy even in the most difficult trial in our life. So are you growing your kingdom? Are you able to walk through difficult trials with joy, with peace, with patience? Are you growing your family? And I don't mean numerically. We took that verse literally, just in case you were not quite sure, you know, multiply, yeah. Yeah, we like, we're doing that like literally, you know, we try to take the Bible as literal as we possibly can, okay? Okay, but are you growing, are you discipling your family? You know, too often I hear of people going out and spending all this time with all these other people trying to be disciples, but they've missed where God has called them to disciple first, and it's right in their family. We are off distracted by the good thing and we're missing the God thing. I mean, church leaders, man, we have, this is one of the toughest things we have to go do. We know it in theory, but we get the phone calls and can you help me? Can you meet with me? Can you disciple me? Can you counsel me? Can you do all these things? And sure, yes, yes, I want to help, I want to help, but we miss what's right in front of us. Do you know when you get to heaven, he is not going to ask you how many disciples you made outside of your family until he asks you first, what did you do with your family? It's a sobering word to hear. But it's something that God has called us to do first in our family. First in ourself, then in our family, then in the kingdom of God. You know, I was grieved uh, on Wednesday, this past Wednesday night. What time is it? Weesh. Okay. Uh, this past Wednesday night, Uh, I was leaving, I went to a a funeral or a viewing, and I was driving across town. And I'm telling you, church, talking about growing ourselves, growing in the knowledge of God, sacrificing things that are of this world, sacrificing good things in order to press into the greater things of, of God. And I'm driving on Route 90, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking like, well, you know, we've got church on Wednesday night, we've got church on Sunday, and all these things we're trying to go do. And I looked off to my left, and I drove past the casino. Erie Downs, Presque Isle Downs, the casino. Wednesday night, guys, the parking lot was completely full. I am telling you there were thousands of cars there, which means if every person even just came with one car, there were thousands of people in the casino. And so I hear this feedback, well, you know, church on Wednesday night is difficult because there's sports and there's other things. No, BS, guys, sorry. I am sorry. There is people going to the casino, spending their time and effort, growing their kingdom in the wrong kingdom, in the world's kingdom. Church, we need to step up. Did I just say BS? I'm just realizing that I did that. Wow. <laughs> okay, I didn't actually say it. You got my point, yeah? But church, we can't say we're too busy for the things of God because what I looked at when I walked by is there were a lot of people that were at the casino. They found a way to make time for the thing that was important to them. So we cannot go around saying, well, I don't have time to grow my kingdom. I don't have time to be in the word." No, we, we do have time. It's a priority issue. Say, well, I'm in high school or I'm in middle school and I don't have time. You do have time. Believe me, you think you're busy now? (laughs) You have no idea what busy is. College students, I love you, man. I know you got finals and midterms and and all-nighters and stuff, man. How about an all-nighter with God? How about an all-nighter with God? Try it once. See what happens. Don't do it. Well, you can do it. Actually, you should do it the night before the test. Because the Holy Spirit will give you the answers then. Amen? Amen. I believe it. Let it be written. Let it be done. (laughs) Doing some Charlton Heston too here up here. Okay. Okay. Where was I at? Okay. We got got that. Grow the kingdom. The next one is we need to equip the kingdom. We need to equip the kingdom. When we are royalty, we believe and we need to understand that we need to equip ourselves and we need to equip those around us. In church, I'm going to skip Ephesians 4, but it starts with you, 2 Timothy 2.15. It starts with us. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing this. We need to be ready to share the gospel message. Last week... I was outside with the kids, it was cold out, I had big plans to do yard work, big, big plans. I was cutting bushes down, kids were going to help me, we were going to drag stuff all over the place, and I was excited, this was going to be a work day. And as I'm walking along the side of the house, I see a car pull up to our house, and two women get out of the car, and they're kind of looking around, I'm like, what is going on? This is a work day, I am busy like, why are you here? What are you doing? Uh, so I, you know, casually walk back up and say, ma'am, can I help you? She says, well, I'm a Jehovah Witness, and I want to talk to you about the Bible. <laughs> this, this, this happened. And I kind of, honestly, I, was, I froze a little bit. I froze. And the Bible clearly says we need to be ready at all times. We need to be equipping ourselves to be ready at all times. We need to be equipping our family to be able to share the gospel message, to lay hands on someone when they see someone who is sick, to pray for someone who needs prayer. We need to be equipping ourselves and our family to be ready. And quite honestly, I didn't quite feel ready. That's the thing. Oh, Jehovah Witness. Okay, what is the difference? thinking about the denominational classes, and there's splits, there's Methodist, there's Lutheran, but that's not like that. I don't think that they truly believe in Jesus as something, but I said, you know, and then I just started asking questions because I honestly couldn't remember because I was like on the spot, okay? And so, well, tell me a little bit about what you believe, and then we got into a little bit of a the theological uh, debate, and I could see quickly that my gospel message of Jesus is Lord. He is also one of the Godhead of the Trinity. And going through that part of the message and proving that in the Bible was not working at the moment, which was okay. And I said, well, let me pray for you. And that person looked at me and said, we prefer not to pray with you. (laughs) And they slowly took steps back and they got into their car and then they left. But to be honest, I was grieved by it. One, because they don't know truly who Jesus is. They truly don't have an understanding of what was going to happen to them when they die, where their spirit goes, etc. And I was truly grieved and I had compassion for them. And I was a little bit upset at myself that I wasn't ready when they showed up. Are you ready? Are you, are you studying to show yourself, are you equipping yourself to be ready when you are out on the battlegrounds, when you are out at your workplace, when you are within your family and you're trying to, trying to fight against something that's coming against your family, are you ready? Are you equipping yourself? Because too often we wait until the problem comes and then we decide to start trying to equip ourselves. Oh my gosh, there's a huge problem in my life. What does the word of God say about it? We need to be ready with what the Word of God says about the situation in our life before it comes. The last one. I feel like this are going to start smelling the food here. The last one, we need to take care of the kingdom. As royalty, we need to take care of the kingdom. And first and foremost, you need to take care of yourself, church. Oh, that's selfish. What's this? To serve others. No, 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 no. It doesn't say to serve others so much so that you absolutely are miserable and your life is miserable. You've got no time for yourself. You can't even do anything in your own life. It doesn't say that. It, doesn't, it says, sure, we have to serve others, but we need to take care of ourselves. Acts 4.32 says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any time the things that he possessed was his own. It's not mine. It's God's. But they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all the possessions and the lands and the houses sold them. They brought the proceeds of those things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one that has need. Church, we're in the business of taking care of people. We're in the business of equipping people. in the business of helping orphans widows and the poor but first and foremost you need to look at yourself and reflect on your own life am i taking care of my kingdom am i taking care of the vessel that god has placed me in am i taking care of my family if i went out and fed the poor all the time and didn't feed my own kids what would you say to me what are you doing We need to take care of our family, and then ultimately we need to take care of the kingdom. Worship team, or I don't know if Andy's coming back up, or Sydney just to play in the back. What I want to do is, I I have a few more scriptures, I'm not going to go there. I want to give you some things, some statistics of what the Lord is doing in our midst. What the Lord is doing in our midst. And this is preparing us for the meal we are about to partake in. Because this meal is a meal of celebration. It's a meal of what God has already begun to do, what God is going to continue to go do as we walk in his identity, when we walk a life marked by miracles, when we walk as royal people of his family, not to be selfish, not to think of ourselves higher than anybody else, but to have compassion on those who are in need, to have compassion for the lost, to have compassion for our family. Church, can we have some compassion for our family? Those who are closest to us are the ones that annoy us the most. That's just the way it goes. Is it not true? Can we have compassion? Can we grow in the fruit of the Spirit? So since I started tracking, we have had over 50 people commit their lives to Christ. This is this year. I'm talking, yeah, amen. I'm talking about this year. This year, this year's not over, church. Last I checked, we're still in October. We still in October? Yes, it's harvest season. So if it's harvest season now, and we've already had over 50, what is God gonna do? Amen, magnify. Water baptisms, we had 14 this year. Hallelujah. 14 people. Death to life. Lives transformed forever. This is something to celebrate, church. Healings. This is by my count. These are just the ones that I either know of, have been made aware of, somebody told it to me, and I wrote it down. There has been 57 specific healings church and I kept saying it's like one a week no it's like more than one a week because I started tracking in February we're only at the end of October if there's 52 weeks in the year guys do the math with me that's more than one a week I am talking and I, I mean major major stuff this is not God healed my headache like if I added those on there it would be way more than 57 I'm talking about someone who had cancer is gone. Someone who had aches and bone pain that is gone. Someone who had a broken toe last week who had stopped hurting him when they prayed for him. I mean, come on. This is a reason to celebrate. God is doing miracles in our midst. Then I wrote down, how about financial miracles? Shoot, I haven't been counting those. And I truly believe we're moving into a season where the healing miracles will continue and the financial miracles are going to start to come. So I encourage you to share those with me. Put them on your connection card because I want to try to count those miracles as well. And I know he's already done at least three or four within the past couple weeks that I know of that have been pretty significant in our life and in people's lives. So God is doing a miraculous thing. And that's why we're going to have some food together. That's why we're going to break bread together. That's why we're going to enjoy fellowship time together, because we are part of his kingdom. And before I pray for the food, if you're here this morning and you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never accepted him, you have a chance this morning to do that. We're going to have small group leaders that will be coming up here as I pray. They can pray for you. They can help you receive that gift of eternal salvation. You may have a physical need in your body. Specifically, if you have a hip problem of any kind, I suggest you come up here. There's healings for hips available. So what are you talking about? Well, God gives words of knowledge, and this is what he told me. So anyway, if you've got a hip problem, I highly suggest you come up here and get prayed. Prayer for your hips. You say, well, I don't have time to come and get prayer. Well, guess what? If you're staying for food, there's going to be a line. And so you might as well come and get prayer because guess what? There's going to be no rush, especially if you're sitting up towards the front. You're not going to get in line fast enough. You're going to be waiting. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this food we are going to partake in. We thank you, Father, that you are so good that these miracles and provision that you have provided have been absolutely amazing. We give you all the glory. We magnify your name. It's not because of us, but because of you. And we just thank you for what you did on the cross to save our sins, to heal our bodies, to transform our lives. Thank you that we can have that relationship with you. and Father, I just thank you for the time of fellowship we're about to have. Father, I pray for new connections today, new relationships to be made, old relationships to be restored. In a time of fellowship with kids, with family, all ages together, celebrating your goodness, your provision, and your harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come up here and get prayer or be dismissed and enjoy the food.
0: Thank you for being a part of today's Faith Communications broadcast of Erie Christian Fellowship Church. If you do not currently have a church home, you are invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Erie Christian Fellowship is located at 5900 Saratania Road, directly across from the Walnut Creek Middle School. You'll find us on the web at www.ecfchurch.org where you may sign up to receive our monthly faith communications newsletter. Again, thanks for joining us today. And always remember 2 Corinthians 5-7 that declares, For we walk by faith, not by sight.